Well, it is uh, nice to see all this food for the food bank. Um, food banks do an incredible work, I, I've come to realize recently. Um, a friend of mine uh, who's a pastor of a church has a, has a f- food bank uh, as part of their program. And I think um, over the last, uh, oh, maybe year, two years max, something like 10 people have come to faith uh, through the ministry of the food bank. So it's nice that not only people receive food, but they also hear about Jesus. And uh, these folks do a great work. So I really encourage you in your contributions to it. Well, we've been rummaging around a little bit in the life of Moses, and I want to continue that. It's not really a harvest or a thanksgiving message, but it is about someone who uh, was a farmer, so I hope that that's a little bit of a connection. Um, Exodus chapter 2, Exodus 2, and we'll read from verse 11. I really only want to look at verses 15 um, and onwards. But uh, we'll read from verse 11 just to remind ourselves of the context. I'm sure it's okay for me to drink this water. Yeah. Sometimes when you speak in churches, the water's been there for about six months. But I think, I think that's been changed, so thanks for that. I do apologize about my voice. I know it's a bit croaky this morning. Um, there's reasons for that and uh, not that I was singing but I struggle a little bit with migraine headaches and so when I get a headache it tends to go for my voice as well so um, that's the story with my voice next time it will be back to normal hopefully Exodus chapter 2 verse 11 one day after Moses had grown up he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labour He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that and seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. And he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. And Pharaoh heard of this and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, or Jethro, he seems to have had two names, when the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early? And they answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds, and he even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he, Ruel? asked his daughters. And why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughters Zipporah, 
to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During a long period, the king of Egypt died and the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God and God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them just a prayer Lord we thank you just for this final uh, statement in this passage that we've read together that you looked on the Hebrews in their misery and you heard their cries and you were concerned for them. We thank you for your concern and your love for your people. And it thrills us and encourages us. And it is, Lord, one of the great truths that undergirds our lives as Christians. We thank you, Lord, that you not only loved us, but you gave your Son for us. And we thank you for this great salvation that we enjoy. And we pray today that as we think about Moses, this man that you would call to be the leader of your people, as we think about him in a wilderness experience, we ask that you'll come and minister to our hearts. Some of us feel as if we are in a wilderness experience and we pray Lord that you'll just encourage us and we pray that you'll give us a deep seated sense before we leave this room that you've not abandoned us that you continue to work in our lives and that you're with us no matter where we find ourselves so we ask Lord that you'll minister to us in the way that only you can by your spirit and we ask this in our Saviour's name Amen. So Moses had uh, fallen into the depths of sin and failure. Uh, really, he uh, he had taken the life of an Egyptian, and uh, in his attempts, I suppose, to be recognised as the new leader of God's people, he had tried to force God's hand, and. Uh, He thought that by killing this Egyptian, he thought that the Hebrews would see that now was the time for them to submit to his leadership and to follow him as their leader. But uh, it seems that um, Pharaoh heard about the death of this Egyptian taskmaster and uh, Pharaoh, it would appear, Uh, wanted to kill Moses as a consequence of his actions. So Moses was unable to stay in Egypt and was forced really to run for his life. And he did run. It ran out of Egypt and into the desert of Midian, which was really a barren wasteland. Uh, somehow in the middle of this desert he managed to find a well I'm not sure how he found or discovered this well but somehow in the mercies of God he discovered a well where he could uh, get a drink of water and where he could at least be sustained for a while but as he sat beside that well uh, and as he looked 
down into it, he must have felt, don't you think, that the bottom had dropped out of his world. He had effectively been Egypt's number two. He had been in line uh, for the throne of Egypt. Um, He had spent his days surrounded with splendor and grandeur and uh, the architecture of ancient ancient Egypt and, and its pharaohs. But now he's on the run. And who knows how he felt as he looked down, wondering how he could have been so foolish, how he could have made such a dreadful mess of his life, how he could have brought something that was so wonderful to an end so tragically and so suddenly. He must have wondered where would his life go from here, now that he's on the run from Pharaoh, and now that he uh, has murdered someone and can't really ever go back to Egypt, he would think. He must have wondered, what direction will my life take now, and what shape will my life take now that I'm in this desert and in this wilderness? I don't know if you can identify with Moses. Maybe you feel as if you've hit rock bottom, and you wonder if you will ever recover. Well, the encouraging thing about this story is that Moses did recover by the mercy of God. And God brought him to this well, and it was the well of a new beginning. It was the well where he would meet the wife, uh, his future wife. It was the well where he would meet the mother of his two boys. It was the well where he would meet his future employer. And in the mercy of God, in the middle of this barren wilderness, God had brought him to this well, which in many senses was a place of new beginning for this Moses who had made such a mess of his life. And often, in fact again and again in the story of the Bible, you discover that failure is not final, at least with God. God often picks people up who've made a horrible mess of their lives, tragic mess of their lives, and gives them a new beginning, gives them a new start, gives them another chance, picks them up out of a mess that no one else would dare pick them up out of, and uses them often in a way that is spectacular and quite unbelievable. And that was true of Moses. He didn't deserve it. He did not deserve it. But in the mercy and grace of God, God showed compassion to him. Now, it would take a long time for him uh, to get back to where he was. It would take 40 years for Moses to get back to Egypt. And it may take time for us to get back to where we were after making a tragic mess. But by the grace of God, it's possible to get back to where we ought to be. I was listening to somebody testify this week, actually in our own college, and he just talked about how he felt that he had backslidden and how it had taken a long time to get back to where he used to be. He thought he could just pick up where he left off, but it wasn't quite like that. And it took a period of time before he could get back to where he thought he should be. And that's how it is with Moses. It would take 40 years for him to return to Egypt and be the leader of God's people. So what happened in those intervening 40 years? Well, there's three things that I want to pull out of this text. Um, or really three areas that I want to camp on. First of all, I want you to just think, think about the well. 
that he discovered. A little bit about his activity around this well. Um, Not rocket science by any stretch of the imagination, but a few observations of his activity at this well that really strike me. And a little bit about his wife, the wife that he was given, Zipporah, and We'll think a little bit about her and and uh, what kind of a lady she was and what kind of a relationship they had together. And then finally, we'll think a little bit about the wilderness that he lived in for 40 years. And we'll think a little bit about his wilderness experience because some of us are here, <clears throat> and you might be surprised to know this, but uh, some of us can, can identify with the whole idea of feeling like you're in a wilderness just waiting for the next chapter to open, feeling like you're just in this place and, and, and you feel like it's not, it's not really where you should be. And the name that he gives his son indicates that. He's a stranger in a strange land. It's not really where you should be, but it's where you are. And you're waiting for God to open the door into the next chapter. You just have to patiently live out your life in whatever kind of a wilderness you might feel that you're in. So those are the three things. The well, the wife, and the wilderness. Very simple. I'm a simple guy, so it works for me. Hopefully it will work for you. First of all, the well then. Two or three observations about Moses at this well that he discovered. The first thing that I am really struck by is that this future leader of Israel is a man of compassion. Moses killed that Egyptian thinking it would be the catalyst that would catapult him into becoming the saviour of the nation. But God isn't ready to entrust him with such a mammoth task just yet. The leadership of an entire nation. God's not just ready to set that responsibility on his shoulders. Moses will have to start at the very beginning if he wants to be the leader of a nation, the leader of Israel. He may have all the head knowledge. He may have been taught by the Egyptians the strategies of warfare. He may know about things like chemistry and astronomy. But God's not ready to let him loose on leadership just yet. He will need to prove himself practically before God will entrust him with this role. And to do that, he would need to start at the beginning and work his way up. So Moses, you want to be the deliverer of Egypt, of of the Hebrews or of the Israelites, do you? Well then let's begin with the deliverance of seven Midianite girls from the taunts and threats of a bunch of cruel Midianite shepherds. That's where I want you to begin to prove your leadership qualities. And Moses is sitting by this well and seven girls come to water their father's sheep. They're out in numbers. It would appear they seem to be in such a hurry as he observes them to fill their troughs full of water so that their sheep can drink. And soon Moses discovered why they were in such a hurry. Because it wasn't long before the Midianite shepherds arrived and began to chase and taunt and tease these girls. And Moses Moses instinctively rose to their defense. He might have been tempted to sit and do nothing. He could have just been a spectator of the whole affair. He could have said, well this will make for interesting entertainment. Let's just watch and see how this plays out. This will be fun. But no, he saw that these girls were harassed. And maybe even frightened. And that these thoughtless shepherds 
we're just making uh, not only frightening them but making a complete mockery of them and something instinctively in Moses feels this is not right I should do something I should intervene here I should step in uh, on, on behalf of these Midianite girls even though he couldn't do what he wanted to do namely deliver Israel he was prepared to do the good that he could do Deliver these Midianite shepherdesses. So he became the saviour of seven girls. Nobody saw what he did. There was no national recognition. There was no medals of honour at the end. It was an unseen act of courageous kindness. He just did what he felt was right. And God was watching to see if he would do what was right. God was watching to see if he would be faithful in the little things. Before he would be entrusted with the great things. God is watching how faithful we are in the little things. Many people think it doesn't really matter how I do my homework. Or it's not really that important whether I prepare for my Sunday school lesson. I'll just show up and wing it. Or what kind of example I set uh, to my Bible class. Or nobody really noticed notices whether I'm faithful in personal witness at work no one really sees whether I stand up for Jesus or whether I just go with the flow but God sees and God is looking for people who are faithful in the little things before he will entrust them with greater things God is looking for people who will do what is right regardless of who is watching because he knows that those people who do what is right when ev- it is those people who will do what is right when everyone when 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 everyone else is looking so if they do what is right when no one's looking there's a good chance they'll do what's right when everyone's looking so there's Moses at this well and the first thing that we discover is that he's a man full of compassion the second thing i think that strikes me about him is that he's full of courage Moses took on these shepherds, and who knows how many of them there were, but he took them on single-handedly. He was fearless when it came to doing the right thing. Fearless, Fearlessness was something that God wanted him to learn. He would one day stand before the most powerful man on earth and demand that he let his entire construction crew go free into the desert to worship their God. One day he would call down judgments on Egypt, such as had never been seen before. Fearlessness was something that God wanted to write into the very fabric of this man's being. He would one day be the subject of the Hebrews' mistrust and their continual complaining and grumbling. One day the Hebrews would threaten to stone this man called Moses. And he needed to show that he could be fearless when it came to doing what was right. Absolutely fearless. He needed to show that he was willing to stand up and be counted when his heart was pounding and the palms of his hand were sweating or wet with sweat. Could he stand up and do the right thing? Was he prepared to single-handedly take on these Midianite shepherds to protect these girls? We need people who've got the courage of their convictions. 
I think that's something that's going to be needed more and more in the future. We need people who've got the courage to do what is right and to speak up for what is right, regardless of what the consequences might be. Standing up and letting people know what we believe and why we believe it and why we're committed to it and why we won't budge an inch from it. I'm not saying that we should be arrogant or cantankerous, but I am saying that we should be people who are known to want to do what is right and who will be absolutely fearless and standing for God and for his truth and for his cause. Well, the third thing that strikes me about Moses at this well is that not only is he a man of compassion and courage, but he's also a man of charity. Charity. So this point at least fits in with what we've done this morning. Moses not only chased the shepherds for their lives, he went a step further. He went as far as to give these girls a break from their daily routine. Now this is a well-educated, amazingly dressed Egyptian. And he draws water out of the well and gives it to the sheep of these little shepherdesses. I I don't know whether one of these girls has caught his eye. Uh, Maybe he's falling in love. Maybe he's trying to impress. I'm not quite sure. Uh, Interesting to see the changes in young people as they fall in love. But surely Moses could have stopped at chasing the shepherds away, couldn't he? I mean, wouldn't that still have been a great story? Moses saves the girl for seven Midianite girls. That would have been the headlines of the Midianite herald. But there was a generosity in in the heart of Moses. He was the kind of person who would go the second mile. He didn't just do the bare minimum. He, He did as much as he could to help others. It was just instinctive in his being. No one asked him to water their sheep. But... But there's a second mild dimension to to Moses. He's the kind of leader I think that God is looking for. Someone who's kind. Love is kind. Kindness will be long remembered. Kindness is one of the fruit of the spirit. Someone who like John Charles Gordon. There's a stone laid to his memory in St. Paul's in London. And it says, who at all times and everywhere... Gave his strength to the weak, his substance to the poor, his sympathy to the suffering, and his heart to God. And what good does it what what good is it if you get straight A's in your hires? What good is it if you are the best business person around and everyone thinks you're a fantastic business person, but they've no record of you as would relate to things like compassion? And kindness. And all that you've left behind you is a trail of badness and bitterness and awkwardness and cantankerousness. Well, here's Moses, and there's a there's a charity in his heart. He wants to help people. And it's just instinctive. No one asked him to do it. It just flowed from who he was. He was kind. He was kind. Some people find it hard to go the first mile, never mind the second mile. Jesus told a story about this in the Good Samaritan, the priests and the Levites. Well, they were too holy to stop and help. They were going to the temple to worship. And then this poor Samaritan comes along and lifts this beaten man and takes him to safety and tends to his needs. 
I don't know if you've ever watched the film Chariots of Fire. Have you watched that film about Eric Little? There's a little scene in the middle of it which you might miss, but he comes out of church. Of course, his whole story is about a man who won't run on Sunday because he thinks that's the Lord's Day and he believes he shouldn't desecrate it and he thinks that running uh, will desecrate it. But there's a scene in the middle of it where he comes out of church and there's a wee boy kicking a football against uh, the wall of the church and and of course he comes out and he lifts the football because it's Sunday and he, 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 and he says to the little boy this is no day to be playing ball sonny but then he goes on to say but if you come back tomorrow I'll play football with you there's a kindness and a, a generosity not just a legalisticness but a kindness and a generosity where he wants to reach out to this little boy and play football with him the next day kind hearted individual Moses I remember uh, I think I've probably told you this story before but our associate pastor cut the hedge of a lady who was ill with cancer all summer and she wasn't a Christian And at the end of the summer, having watched him cut her grass and cut her hedges, she came out with a glass of water. And she hadn't spoken to him all summer. She gave him the glass of water and she said to him, why do you want to help me? And he says, because God has helped me. And he says, I just want to somehow show the kind of help that I've received from God to others. And he said to her, I'd like to show you how God has helped me. Would you be interested in reading the Gospel of Mark with me? And she did. And she became a Christian five or six weeks in, having read the Gospel of Mark with him. Kindness is a lovely thing. And here we see kindness in the heart of Moses as he helps these girls. Not just by protecting them, but actually giving them a break from their daily routine and watering their sheep. So much then about the well. What about his wife? Well, a couple of things about this wife that he is given. Um, I want you to think a little bit about her faith and uh, a little bit about her flocks. But her faith, when, when the girls went home that evening, their father was surprised that they had made it back so early. So they told him the story about this well-dressed Egyptian who showed up and who not only drove the Midianite shepherds away, but who helped them. And their father began to question them as a father would begin to question them. Uh, Who is this Egyptian? Where is he now? Uh, Why did you just leave him out there? Why didn't you invite him to come back for something to eat? So he sends them off and they invite this Egyptian. He must have still been hanging out at the well, maybe hoping and praying that they would come back. But uh, he's at the well and they invite him to come back to their tents for something to eat. Now, I don't know uh, if any of you men can remember going to your in-law's, father-in-law's house for tea for the first time. It's quite a daunting experience. Uh, I grew up in a housing estate just further down the coast of Edinburgh, uh, just east of Edinburgh. So I spent my life in a fairly basic sort of environment. And then in my teenage years, my father was left a little farm, so we lived in a very simplistic farmhouse. And... uh, my mother and father-in-law are fairly well-to-do people, so I went to visit them and for the first time uh, having met Elaine and they showed me into the drawing room. Well, I didn't really know what a drawing room was. I thought a drawing room was somewhere you drew pictures and then you kind of graduated into the living room. But anyway, I, I, I got through it and, and Moses, it appears, got through his first meeting with his in-laws. 
And there's no such nerves apparent here with Moses. Uh, He must have felt right at home with Jethro because he ended up staying with him for the next 40 years. The Midianites were not complete strangers to the Hebrews. Uh, The Midianites were actually descendants of Abraham through his wife Keturah. And you can read about that in Genesis 25 verses 1 and 2. So the Midianites, although they're not Hebrews, they are descendants of Abraham. And at this point they may have been worshippers of Yahweh. There's a strong possibility that they were uh, worshippers of Yahweh. I might be making a bit of a quantum leap, but it doesn't seem unreasonable to me to believe that Zipporah maybe had some kind of faith in the living God. And even with that faith, it was still difficult for her and Moses at times, because a little bit later on in Exodus chapter 4, she really struggled with the idea of circumcising her sons, didn't think it was the right thing to do, and there seems to be a great parting of the way between Moses and Zipporah at that point. But even with this lady who shares at least in some measure his faith in God and his desire To live for God and worship God, the God of the Bible, there's still struggles. How difficult it would have been if she hadn't shared any of his faith and was a complete pagan. What a nightmare that would have been as he tried to live for God and lead his family in a Godward direction. Finding a partner in life is undoubtedly one of the most important things that anyone will ever do. And if you get it wrong, you have to live with the consequences for a long time. And if you want to avoid the difficulties that Moses and Zipporah experienced, then you will need to find someone who not only has the same kind of faith in God, but someone who shares your passion and desire and heart to serve God. And with a partner like that, you will become a force for God. A couple, I was at a wedding yesterday, I was telling someone at a wedding yesterday, and just thought about this couple starting out together, a Christian couple, and thought, there's so much potential to be a force for the kingdom. As they serve God side by side, and as they try to live for God, and you know, that's what I long for my own children. I'm at a stage in life where I see my kids leaving our family home and leaving the influence of their parents and starting to paddle their own canoe. And my great prayer in life for them is that they'll meet someone who not only shares their faith in God, but who's really possessed of a heart to go on with God. And that together with that partner, if God gives them a partner, and God doesn't give everyone a partner, but... But if God gives them a partner, that with them they'll become a force for the kingdom. And that they'll be up to their ears in the work of God, wherever God sets them down. And that should be our prayer for our young people, even in the context of this church. Well, um, here here is Moses, and, and he marries Zipporah. I don't know what kind of a lady she was. We'll meet her a little bit later if we continue with the story of Moses. A little bit about her flocks. 
It's never by coincidence that God brings people into our lives. Ruel, or Jethro, as he's called in chapter 3, verse 1, becomes Moses' father-in-law. And Jethro is a very interesting man. He is a priest, it would seem. And since he is a descendant of Abraham, I think it might be worth suggesting that he is a priest of God. The truth is we don't know. And Jethro will have a significant influence in Moses' life over the next 40 years and beyond that um, in, in chapter 21 we're told that Moses agreed to stay with the man or in the New King James it says that Joseph, Moses was content to live with the man uh, and, and this relationship between Jethro and Moses would prove important it was a relationship that Moses would fall back on periodically and Jethro would have advice for him a little bit later on about appointing assistants to help him in the work that God had called him to and that was a lifesaver and, and this man Jethro became a really important person in Moses' life I think a fatherly type of figure we don't read about much of Moses' own biological father or the influence or any great influence that he had in his life. But he met this man called Jethro and Jethro seems to have a, a, a significant influence in his life from this point onwards. And I'm so grateful for the fatherly-like figures that I have met over the years who've had a huge influence on, on my life. People that I know care about me deeply. People that will tell me stuff that no one else will tell me but I need to hear. I was the assistant minister in, in a place called Balamina Baptist Church for two years and I assisted John Shearer, some of you might have heard of his name he's been a great friend to me over many years and even now in his 70s, uh, later in his 70s he'll still come and talk to me and he'll tell me things that no one else is prepared to tell me and say things to me that no one else is prepared just recently he came and said something to me that not another person in the world would have been prepared to say to me and you older men in this fellowship you've got the potential to have that kind of role in the lives of younger men as you influence them and encourage them and advise them in the ways of God well Jethro and and Moses but what about uh, Moses? What was his new employment? His new employment was minding sheep. Now, Moses has got more degrees from the University of Egypt than any other man on the face of the planet. Moses had lived second in line to Pharaoh since he was a boy. Moses uh, has spent over 30 years of his life walking the corridors of power in Egypt with its breathtaking architecture. Moses, the prince that everybody looked up to and probably bowed down to as he walked down the street, becomes a Bedouin shepherd. He spends his days sitting watching sheep eat whatever vegetation he can find for them. And he spends 30 years doing that. He has his heart on becoming a leader. But God put him in charge of another man's sheep. He doesn't even have his own sheep. He's in charge of his father-in-law's sheep. He has a heart set on position and probably recognition. But God put him in the presence of a few animals who didn't care how gifted he was at reciting poetry. Who couldn't care less if he was Pharaoh's adopted son or whether he wasn't. All they cared about was that they found that, that he found them a little bit of grass now and again. 
But these days in Moses' life were important. Because there would be many occasions in his career as the leader of the Hebrews when people would completely disregard him. They would despise him. And God wanted him to learn how to go unappreciated and unrecognized. He needed to learn how to be a nobody before he could become a somebody. Leaders who have their hearts set on nothing but playing the big drum will only get in God's way. God needs people who are happy to be servants, who are willing to serve unseen and unrecognized. Folks like William Carey, who went to India and translated the Bible into 34 Indian dialects and was at a a tea party of the East Indian Company and a woman wanted to belittle him and she said to him in public in front of anyone, everyone trying to put him down, Oh, Carey, I hear back in England you were a shoemaker. Oh, he says, not a shoemaker, just a shoemender. She tried to put him down, but he put himself even lower because he wasn't consumed with himself. He wasn't getting in God's way. He was there to glorify another. Moses needs to learn how to go unrecognized, unappreciated. He needs to learn how to be a nobody before God will ever entrust him with the leadership of this great nation. There's something very precious about someone who's happy to serve even though they are unseen and unapplauded. They know that God sees and God is all that really matters. Well, here's the last thing, and with this I'll be through. It's the wilderness that he entered. Moses entered a desert then for the next 40 years. You pick that up in Acts 7. It tells us that he spent 40 years in the desert or in the wilderness. He wasn't there for a holiday. He wasn't there to ride the camels or make a documentary about his life. He was there to stay for 40 years. This would be his new address. Cracked lips, a dry throat. Constant straining of his eyes to avoid the glare of the sun. The covering of every part of his skin that he could cover. That would be his daily experience for the next 40 years. When I was in Southern California California a few years ago, I drove out into the desert not far from Palm Springs. And it was nice to see, but you know, it was nice to get back to civilization again. But Moses couldn't go back to Egypt. Pharaoh would have executed him. Yet despite the toughness of the terrain, God had him there for a reason. He was in God's school. He was preparing for the next chapter of his life's work. And the truth is the desert has many faces, doesn't it? The desert of persistent physical illness. The desert of heartache. The heartache of a difficult spouse. Or difficult children who are nowhere with God and who go against all the advice that you give. The desert of difficult people at work who are a nightmare to work beside. I don't know what kind of a desert God has dropped you down into, but the desert has many different faces. But I think in the desert experiences of life, God is shaping us and molding us into the people that he wants us to be. It's a bit like the sculptor, isn't it? And somebody walks into his workshop and says, what are you making out of that block of marble? Oh, he says, I'm making a horse. I'm, 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 I'm sculpting a horse. 
How are you going to do that? He says, well, I'm going to chip away everything that doesn't look like a horse. And that's what God's doing in, in the life of Moses in this desert. Shaping him, molding him into the man that he wants him to be. And, you know, I don't understand all of the stuff that takes place in life. I don't claim to have all the answers for the stuff that Christians experience. I, I, I wish, I often wish that it could be different for many, many people. I have a dear friend who's just going through cancer treatment at the minute and, and, uh, he's just had his last shot. And if, if it doesn't work, there's nothing else. And I wish it could be different. I so wish it could be different. And I don't fully understand why God takes people the way he takes them. But in his providence he does. And in the middle of all of that, God is surely shaping us and molding us and making us into the people that he wants us to be. Well, two quick things about this wilderness experience. I've already touched on this, but I'm going to mention it again. The loneliness of his desert experience. There were no radios, no iPods, no MP3 players, no traffic to listen to, just silence in the desert. Nothing but sheep munching whatever vegetation you can find. Many of the world's greatest people have lived lonely lives. Many of the world's greatest artists have been lonely figures. And solitude is important. When you're alone, you'll find your mind traveling to areas beyond the superficial. The superficial that normally occupies us as we run from one event to another in this frantic society in which we live. But when you spend time alone and there's nothing but silence... You find your mind wandering in all kinds of places and going in all kinds of directions. And Moses has been given the opportunity to discover himself. The opportunity to learn how to live with himself. The opportunity to learn how to be himself. No one else is around. He's learning about himself in this lonely desert experience. And that would be important. There would be occasions in his future when no one would support him. Not a single person will support him. There would be occasions in the future when he will call down judgments on Egypt. And even his own people will want to distance themselves from him. There would be times when he would be leading them through the desert. That they will turn against him and he will feel desperately alone. Desperately isolated. But he's already learned how to live alone. He's already learned how to live an isolated life. This is not a new place that God has taken him to. God has taken him back. God has given him the experience to forge and and develop his steel. So that he'll be ready when the challenge of isolation and rejection and loneliness come in his future leadership. Maybe you're wrestling with loneliness. The loneliness of being the only Christian in your class. The loneliness of being the only young person who seems serious about going on with God. Maybe it's another kind of loneliness altogether and you'd rather be anywhere than where you are now. But in the midst of it all, God has you there for a reason. And maybe, just maybe, one of the reasons is that he wants you to lean on him and not on others. Loneliness is not an easy place to be. What about the length of a stay? Well, with this I'm through. 
the length of his stay, Acts 7, 29 and 30 makes it clear that he spent 40 years in this world. 40 years is a long time, don't you think? I mean, 10 years. Wouldn't 10 years have been enough in a desert? Well, God doesn't seem to think so. God thought Moses needed to learn patience. And it took 40 years to teach him patience. We live in a fast-paced society. We've got fast food. We've got fast cars. We've got fast lanes. We've got microwaves. We've got mobile phones, text messages, supersonic aircraft. Like my daughter went to China last year. I was able to talk to her, see a picture of her. Like years ago when I left home and went to work in London, my parents never heard of me for weeks. I suspect life in ancient, ancient Egypt was fairly fast-paced for a prospective king, school to attend, programs to be part of. If we believe that Jew, the Jewish historian Josephus Moses was in charge of the Egyptian army at one point, that was a fairly onerous task. He was used to saying things and things would happen. Now he's, the, he's second in line to the, to the throne of Egypt. If he says something should be done, they would be jumping and, and attending to it right away. But it won't be like that when he becomes the leader of the Hebrews. They'll spend 40 years wandering in a desert. But that's no new experience for Moses, because he's learned how to live in a desert for 40 years. In God's school of hard knocks. So here he finds himself... In a wilderness. And he spends 40 years living in a desert with a few sheep. Running back and forward probably to his father-in-law's tent encampment. And uh, he spends 40 years just in God's waiting room. Waiting for the next chapter. Waiting for the next chapter to open. Maybe you feel like you're in God's waiting room. You feel that? I, I feel that. That might be a surprise to you. I feel like I'm in God's waiting room. Wondering what's the next chapter? What does the next chapter look like? When is the next chapter going to open up? Why am I stuck here? But waiting time is not wasted time, is it? God puts us in his waiting room for a reason. And we've got to be patient. And we've got to realize that our time is not God's timing. But God's timing is the best timing. And even if the door never opens, and even if we spend the rest of our lives in God's waiting room. You know, heaven is coming. And that will be a glorious life for us. I was reading a book just recently, and this has got uh, not much to do with anything. But I was reading a book recently, uh, The Disciplines of a Christian Man. Very interesting book. And... And uh, in it he tells the story of this little boy and his mum and dad have forced him to learn how to play the guitar. And he's making these horrendous sounds on this guitar, strumming it. And then an angel visits him, carries him off to Carnegie Hall. And he listens to this musician make such incredible sounds on this guitar. He could make this guitar speak. It was just glorious. The little boy sat there. He didn't know a guitar could sound so glorious and beautiful. Then the angel brings him back to his living room and back to his own guitar and he's strumming it. And the angel says, do you know who that man was? That was you. 20 years from now. That's how you will play the guitar. And you know, there is a sense in which that is true of us. 
20 years from now some of us will be in glory 60 years from now some of us will be in glory and will be living glorious lives to the glory of God but in the interim we have to strum our guitar for God and live the kind of lives that he wants us to live and allow him to fashion us and make us and mould us and shape us into the people that he wants us to be but we have heaven to look forward to so the three things were simple (coughs) we thought about the well we see an interesting Moses at the well don't we he's concerned about these girls he cares about them He, he, he waters their flocks that's the kind of man that God's going to take as the leader of, of the Hebrews in the future. And the wife that God gives to him. One of the, probably, you know, got to be one of the most significant events in his life when he marries this lady and he partners with her and, and they become a team. And if you're thinking about that, don't you do that lightly. That's a huge thing. You'll have to live with that for a long time. Make sure you get someone that shares your heart for God and is going in the same direction as you're going for God. And we'll see a little bit later on, and I'm not sure Zipporah did all of that. There are some real struggles in their relationship together. And it all hinges around whether they should do what God wants them to do. And then there's the wilderness, 40 years living in a desert. Wouldn't two years have been enough? Listen, two weeks would have been enough for me. But God said, no, 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 not not two weeks, 40 years, Moses. Because you're going to be 40 years leading people through the wilderness. So you better get used to it. You better get used to it now because this is what's ahead of you in the future. Who knows what God is doing with any of us. And who knows what God has for any of us in, in the future. Thank you again for your kind attention. I feel like I've been long and I apologize to you for that.